good what is it uh night over there actually in australia 10 o'clock and morning over here and uh new york time this is Pilliter today in american time is may the 29th 2022 i'm here with the fabulous richard wollstonecroft how are you doing wollstonecroft good mate how are you good um today on this podcast i thought and it was also affected me was the uh, sudden passing of Andrew Fletcher of Depeche Mode. And yes. reaching out to friends and whatnot, if they have any experience. And I believe, Wilson Croft, you actually have your own, uh, you actually <laughs> met Fletch sometime. I did indeed. I did indeed meet him. Um, I'm just going to put my phone on, on silent, so just in case anyone's going to bother me, that won't happen. But it is late at night. So, um, yeah, look... Um, Look, I've got a bit of a history with uh, Depeche Mode, I guess. Um, uh, it's telling my age, I'm, I'm 52. So uh, I kind of grew up with Depeche Mode's music. Um, uh, you know, I guess, you know, in the early 80s, I began to get into like electronic music. The whole, the whole punk thing kind of happened. And um, it, obviously I, I was only seven when punk happened. So like, you know, it's a bit too young. But mm -hmm. by the time I got to around 12, um, you know, that was around the time when the 80s was really beginning to take off. And there was, a, I got introduced to bands like Ultravox and, um, you know, what, what, what was kind of be called the new romantic movement, you know, which was, um, you know, using a lot of electronics. And Depeche Mode were kind of part of that. Um, a guy by the name of Mark Horpenich introduced me to... Um, some bands like Ultravox. And then I met Mark and Colin Savage. Mark Savage, the filmmaker who makes a lot of films in America. He's living over in America now. And his brother, Colin. Colin was very much into um, electronic music and this whole new romantic thing. And he used to like, you know, he was like, a, he wore makeup and everything. And this to me was a complete shock. I remember when I first met um, Colin Savage, he, he had a kind of a, he looked like Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. He had the hairdo that was, you know, and it was, and he wore makeup. And I thought, you know, I said to Mark, he's your brother gay. And he said, oh, no, 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 he's got a girlfriend, a really hot girlfriend. And it was just the thing that people did. It wasn't really, it wasn't like trans. So I guess it was kind of gender bending a little bit. Anyway, so I was born into this milieu um, and he introduced me to Depeche Mode. Um, and um, I think at that stage, it would have been around 83, 84. So they had a couple of albums out. They had um, Speak and Spell and A Broken Frame. And then pretty much I got introduced to those two albums. I thought they were great. And um, and then I, I remember the albums coming out progressively after that, you know, um, Construction Time Again, that had a kind of fascist-like, um, you know, communist type image of a kind of Aryan kind of guy uh, with a kind of hammer, kind of hammer and sickle kind of imagery a little bit too, standing on a mount. Um, and then um, I think what album came next, the one with People Are People. Ray Roared. Some great reward, some great reward, right? And then uh, there was the album Black Celebration, which um, was a kind of, I guess, a darker turn into a slightly more gothic territory. But that was the time I really thought, well, there's something really different going on here with that band. And um, and I became almost like a religious devotee of Depeche Mode at that stage. And um, uh, I remember music for the masses. I mean, I used to collect, I used to collect the... Um, the 12-inch records um, when they came out. I still have them, luckily. I kept them wisely. And uh, there's a place called Central Station Records in Melbourne I used to go to. And you would buy... There were generally at least two 12-inches, like one that had, like, B-sides and then another that had all the remixes. And these were, like, almost religious things. And they had all the fantastic imagery. And um, it was all quasi... Um, uh, you know, again, following this kind of new romantic thing. It was kind of almost neoclassic uh, and... 
you know, mixing futurism, it kind of flirted with kind of, you know, fascist ideas and also maybe kind of like communist kind of ideas uh, of imagery that you might see within, uh, say, Nazi propaganda and communist propaganda. They would kind of mix it up with probably a tendency towards more, um, uh, more right-wing stuff, I guess. Um, the bands like Ultravox um, did that to some extent. Um, New Order, to, to some extent, obviously even the name New Order was um, the name of Salazar's um, kind of fascist movement in Portugal. Um, you know, so there were these bands were kind of, it doesn't mean they were fascist themselves necessarily, but they were certainly playing with it. Obviously, Joy Division was um, something from this world. So it's just something that um, post-punk, new wave, um, new romantic bands sort of played with a little. And um, Depeche Mode kind of went with it. Um, and I remember when a Music for the Masses came out, they had that song Pimp. There's a film clip online, you can see P Pimp, which is like a, it was a kind of a, that was a kind of um, a group of Hitler youth. Um, so that's a direct kind of reference to kind of fascism. And, it, you know, um, Martin Gore, the songwriter from Depression Road, was kind of playing with these kind of ideas. Um, and I think was going through some kind of identity crisis because I think he identified with that. But then around that time between, I think the album Music for the Masses and um, Violator, which uh, that was the album I met the guys from the band. Um, I think he discovered that his father was um, was a black guy or like somebody of mixed race. So I think he sort of went off the the fascist kind of imagery a little bit after that. I, you know, I don't that, see Gore as half black, but that's interesting. Well, not ha no, I mean like I think a quarter. You know what I mean? I know a few people like that. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, around that same time there were bands like um, Public Enemy. You know, fear of a black planet. But funnily enough, white people, if you have somebody in the family tree who's like a quarter black or half black, uh, after a couple, if you continue to um, breed um, within, you know, uh, um, Anglo-Saxon people or white people, that that, that completely disappears. Uh, I have a friend who, um, anyway, I won't go into the details, but yeah, they, they uh, had somebody who's uh, half a, um, was half caste and he had children with this person and they're whiter than me, for God's sake, you know, they're Pale as the, the driven snow. Not that that means you met Fletch during, or the most of the band during Violator, their biggest period. Um, yeah, yeah. So what happened was, um, again, you want, I guess you want the full the full horror story or the full details. Yeah. Um, I was working for a place called um, Beat Magazine, which is a um, uh, kind of a, a street press. It's a bit like the Enemy, Australia's version to the Enemy. It was a kind of, a, but it was free. It's a weekly um, kind of paper that came out. Um, you know, I'd identified that uh, I liked it and I, I'd written some film reviews for that. Some of my first writing appears in that magazine uh, for Beat Magazine. I was a movie reviewer. And then the music editor, I think, retired at that time. And then they said, do you want the job? I was like 21 years old. Would have been in 1990, the beginning of 1990. And I said, of course, I want that job. It'd be great. So I went to work uh, for Beat Magazine. And I did a number of different, you know, um, things on um, different. I did interviews with various bands I admired. I met Peter Jackson, the filmmaker who went on to uh, obviously do Lord of the Rings. He'd only made it at that stage that film Bad Taste, and I, you know, I'd made that my film Bloodlust. So you know, we had lunch together back in the day, Peter Jackson and I. And um, you know, there are a few interesting celebrities I got to meet in that period through the work I did for this Beat magazine. But one of the things that happened was is there was the Violator tour of. Um, of Australia. And um, so uh, they were my favorite band. And, I, you know, I was still a young man. And um, so I basically contacted the record company and I said, look, I'll do anything to, you know, do a story on the road uh, with Depeche Mode will be on the cover of the magazine and I'll syndicate it. Like I, I think it, it got published in an Australian newspaper as well. Um, so, you know, I, I basically, you know, used all my connections to get this kind of gig and um, they agreed to it, you know, so they flew me up to Sydney. I think it would have been like um, 
the gig was on like I don't know, Friday or Saturday night. So I would have been flat up on a Wednesday. And, you know, I met, um, I think I met the guys at the airport when they arrived. And I remember going back in the cab. I was with Martin Gore and Fletch. The band kind of divided into two cliques um, back then. Uh, it, it was um, Fletch and Martin Gore. They were best friends. And um, Dave Gahan and Alan Wilder, they were very close. Um, and there was always a kind of animosity between um, Martin Gore and Dave Gahan. They would fight about things or whatever. And they didn't seem to socialise together. Like they would not, I never met Dave Gahan, for example, even though I hung out with um, Martin Gore and Fletch for like three days. Um, we never saw a hide in the hair of Dave Gahan until the actual concert when they came on stage. For, so I don't know anything more outside of what I saw then, but I uh oh. Oh, you're okay. Uh, can you hear me? You broke up a bit. Can you can you continue where you were from? It says the internet connection is unstable, but it's okay. But I yeah, can hear yeah, you now. Yeah, I can hear you. So sorry if I'm rambling, but yeah, look, um, you know, uh, he was uh the main guy that I, I met, and um, you know, he uh, he was he was a bit like a fixer. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he would organize things for the band. He was almost like the manager. But I think at the, around that time of the Violator tour his role as the band's manager was actually being taken over by a proper manager because the band was becoming huge. Um, you know, and it was obvious to everybody that they were one, becoming one of the bigger bands in the world. So, you know, um, but he was still very much involved in, in what went on. And um, um, so, you know, he was, uh, he was a really nice guy and, and absolutely no airs and graces about him. And, um, you know, he was like, oh, Rich, nice to meet you. Go on your mate. How are you? You know, come on, let's, you know, what's going on? And, you know, people from record companies, you know, like when we were driving from the airport into their hotel, uh, Martin Gore was with us. He was sitting in the back of the car and the record company, would, they'd get a phone call and they'd go, oh, Depeche Mode, number one on this channel. And it was all bullshit because Depeche Mode were still an underground act, but they're making out that they were like you too, to the band. You could see the way that, that celebrities live in this kind of bubble. You know, and um, so, you know, I, I got to see uh, this firsthand and I guess I wrote about uh, a lot of it in my article and, um, you know, and uh, then over the next two couple of days, I actually got to hang out with them more and I can tell you some more stories. If you like. Yeah, sure. Just whatever that happens. That's interesting. <laughs> um, well, um, okay. What else happened? Um, uh, you know, should I say, I mean, you know, I mean, he, I mean, at that stage in my life, I, I'd never taken drugs or anything, but like um, uh, Fletch was like, they, they'd heard about this drug called ecstasy, you know? And they were like, you know how to get it? You know, and I'm like, well, I don't know, you know what I mean? So, you know, anyway, I had some friends in Sydney and you know what I mean? People were calling around trying to do things, you know, I, I had absolutely no idea. I, I wouldn't know where to help them, you know, in relation to something like that, but they were sort of interested in experimenting with this new kind of love drug that was kind of doing the rounds. Um, it was 1990, it was kind of like, you know, obviously uh, things like Acid House um, and all that kind of rave scene was taking off. And a lot of these um, gigs were playing Depeche Mode's music. So it was kind of, they were connected to it in a lot of ways. And obviously people were remixing their music. So um, they were kind of experimenting with that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, um, so basically I would meet them at the, uh, you know, I'd generally go and sit in the lobby with Fletch and he we would talk and then Martin Gore would come down and would go somewhere. And uh, I remember going, I went nightclubbing with them. I, at this stage, this is before I did my own nightclub, the Hellfire Club. So, you know, I didn't really have any connections in the nightclub scene at that stage, but I was with, you know, the two main guys from Depeche Mode. So that certainly got you in wherever we went. And, um, you know, I just remember going around with them. We went to different kinds of clubs. I think we went through a kind of club that was like a gay club. And they were like, they didn't like that. I mean, 
you know, um, they were both kind of straight boys, and they were both on the cruise for uh, for women, you know. And um, I think um, Martin Waller had a had a girlfriend at the time. With her. she might have even been there, I think, with them actually. But they would still go out on their own. Maybe he'd leave her back at the hotel sometimes. So they were, you know, they were wild boys on tour. Um, the Violator tour was really that's the pressure mode at the height of their powers. I think Violator is their best album. Um, and then at the highlight of it was the gig. And I sent you the set list that the band played. I think it was Friday night at the Horton Pavilion in Sydney. And um, it was a fantastic gig. I was backstage and um, got to see the whole thing. And at that stage, I was pretty much next to Dave Gahan. But I mean, you know, he wasn't, he was certainly was not friendly to, uh, to outsiders. Whereas, mm. I mean, Andrew Fletcher and, and really Martin Gore was still friendly. I don't know if he'd remember me. Really but, before like Songs of Faith and Devotion, before he was totally grunge rocker, but you could see it a prelude to that through five. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, he's um he 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 I think, you know, his style of uh being a front man, you know, he was aware of Michael Hutchins, you know, and um, you know, and, and people like Bono, and I think, you know, he was up there with, you know, and you know, I don't know what he thought he was gonna do in the next decade, but like he was certainly behaving like a rock star. Uh, from what I heard from the other two guys, he would spend most of his time in his room. Alan Wilder would hang out with him. They'd go out drinking sometimes, but he certainly wasn't socialising with the other two guys from the band. But I do think that Fletch could go talk to him or whatever, and he acted as the kind of liaison between them. And, um, you know, that's why I think it's really sad news, his passing, and he was a very important part of the band. And, um, you know, I mean, to my generation, Depeche Mode are like... I don't know whether there are Beatles or um, are Rolling Stones, they're, you know, but they're, they're a big band. And, um, you know, the, his death uh, has affected me the way that David Bowie's death, because David Bowie was a huge part of um, my life. Also, obviously, uh, probably before my time when I was growing up, you know, with all the albums he did in the 70s, but all the stuff he did in the 80s, I was a big fan of. And, um, you know, so when he died, it was kind of a big deal um, to me. Like, you know, you kind of feel it. You, you know, I, I went out that night and commiserated with friends and stuff. And I've been speaking to a lot of people about the death of, um, you know, um, Andrew Fletcher, a friend of mine, Colin Savage, who's a huge fan, who introduced me to Depression Mode many years ago. We're all kind of heartbroken over it. And um, you Yeah, know, I've seen on Instagram, Boyd Rice also recalls seeing him at Daniel Miller's wedding and just yeah. during that same time as well. So everybody was connected to Fletch in that generation as well, which I'm very interested yeah. before Depeche Mode was like, you know, he'd, um, stars. He told me stories about um, Depeche Mode. I mean, Boyd Rice was there when Depeche Mode was signed. I mean, Boyd was already signed to Mute Records when it was basically an experimental label. And I think um, uh, Daniel Miller, who's the uh, head of, um, um, what's it called, uh, Mute Records, he went out to see Depeche Mode with Boyd. Uh, like, you know, he'd never heard of them. He, go, he said to Boyd, oh, do you want to go see this band Depeche Mode? And Boyd was like, okay, let's go have a look, you know. And then, you know, I mean, that became, that became history, right? And, and then I think soon after that, um, Daniel Miller offered the band um, a record contract and then Boyd was there for that. So, you know, like Boyd was there right at the start of Depeche Mode and um, Daniel Miller stayed loyal to obviously both bands. One band went on to become... Um, you know, one of the major bands of the 80s and 90s. And um, Boyd's uh, kind of industrial music and uh, cultural provocateuring. Um, you know, I mean, he was always very controversial, even, even in the 80s, Boyd. And, but Daniel Miller stuck by him and continues to release, at least up until his last album, Back to Mono, continued to release his albums, despite the controversy. So, um, you know, um, and Boyd always always said nice things about the Peshmerdi. He said that they were just young guys from Basildon and... Um, you know, that they, uh, you know, obviously had tremendous success. 
Yeah, I, I only saw Depeche Mode twice. I saw them during, uh, actually twice at Spirit, uh, once in New York in the airtime in Philadelphia, and that was with Fletch. And yeah. um, it's interesting to note that uh, it's always been a, a, a joke that Fletch was the guy that just was backing keyboards or just yeah. was all, like you said, the press man and whatchamacallit. Mm-hmm. So the future of Depeche Mode, if it does continue, would probably just be a duo between uh, Dave and Martin, even though I don't know how the relationships are together. There's a, maybe that small possibility Alan could call that come back, but not really. So technically, you could say it's three people, but officially it's a duo, because now that you don't have Fletch, there's no negotiation or diplomacy within the band. So it's much more hostilities toward, I guess, being solo acts. Well, look, I think, you know, this, the death of Andrew Fletcher is, um, you know, it's going to present, uh, and obviously, if you look up the, um, the official Facebook pages of Martin Gore and Dave Gahan, neither have commented. There's a public uh, page where they talk about, you know, you know, obviously they're devastated. And there was another pay, um, a text message from Martin Gore that Martin Gore had a friend on Facebook and someone screenshotted it that he'd been basically was, you know, it was a total surprise. He was kind of zombified. He's been walking around like a zombie. Um, you know, one thing from hanging out with them, um, he was his best friend, as far as I could tell, at least back then. And I can't imagine much had changed. Um, you know, I mean, he's Vince been- Clark said something too. He he came out as well because he knew you know Fletch with their yeah. proto bands before, and that yeah. Vince Fletch and Martin they were proto Depeche Mode before <laughs> Vince kind of. Correct. Vince, Vince kind of just loyally took it on that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because there should be for more Fletch material out there, but the member that's kind of like Ringo Starr is the Beatles. Yes. Yeah, I think so. That's comparable to that. And, um, you know, what happens with, I think the band will continue. I think now is the time that the band could do something different in the sense that I, one thing I do, I had heard about the band is that the fight between Martin Gore and Dave Gahan is kind of, you know, they've gotten used to each other. Whereas when they were younger, it was more volatile. But now they, you know, I think the fight too was about the fact that Martin Gore wrote all the tracks and Dave Gahan was just the singer. But now Dave Gahan writes um, some of the tracks with a couple of other people. And that, you know, I think that adds balance to their their relationship. So that Dave Gahan doesn't just feel like the front man anymore. So I think that maybe at this stage, you know, I mean, they, they could definitely get Alan McWilder back in the band. They could even get Vince Clark along to help them do an album. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? You know what I mean? They can dedicate the whole thing to Fletch. I mean, there's an idea if you're listening, boys, you know. I mean, you could get in other players. Um, I do think they'll probably do an album, um, you know, and, you know. It'll just be considered the duo or something. It'll just be four solos with Gahan singing or something, possibly. With um, the obituary that was in the, um, I think, The Guardian. I mean, I don't really like The Guardian that often, but it did a very good uh, obituary. And, you know, it said his role was like as the mediator and actually that he kept the band together. And I think that's true. And in a sense, um, now it's up to, um, you know, the the remaining members, which is at the moment, it's this guy, Dave Gahan and Martin Gore, to settle any differences that they have, open a more productive line of communication between them. And and because, you know, he basically spent his whole life trying to keep them together. And if they now split up, well, it's like he's, you know, so, you know, I think, I, I think they will work together again and that they'll work out a way to do it. And 
whether they involve other members of the band, wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, if they could do that. I'm always but, uh, curious whatever they did produce new material in the past two years, or they just go on frequent five-year breaks and then just hit the studio for four or five months and then tour for two years. Because I notice in the past years, the hiatus status has always been half a decade. Not just sure if they did record anything with Fletch right before he died, but... Uh, no, so I don't think it was 2018, 2019. So they had that COVID years to record yep. something, you know. Yep. And I do, um, I, I mean, I, I do think one of the other things that Andrew Fletcher brought to the band is that, um, you know, like he was interested in kind of more pop music, you know, an electronic pop music, whereas Martin Gore was maybe interested in being a bit more experimental, a bit more obscure and maybe dark and gothic or whatever. And Dave Gahan wanted to get his kind of like uh, Michael, like, you know, uh, English version of Michael Hutchins on. You know what I mean? So like, um, I think Fletch kind of encouraged them both to kind of come together, Martin to write more pop songs and to kind of Dave Gahan to do a more pop vocal. You know what I mean? And obviously they have had hits over the years, particularly, you know, um, on the music for the masses and the Violet albums. They had some really classic songs that to this day, uh, some of the greatest electronic music ever recorded. Um, uh, Never Let Me Down Again, um, you know, uh, Enjoy the Silence and, and um, many singles from both of those. Also, the controversy that those period where Alan was in the band, once he left, that's when Depeche Mode had just reinvented itself. But uh, some say yeah. you didn't have the magic of Alan, you wouldn't have those, you know. But you were totally on Fletch and Gore, you know, post uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously they um, they've, they've brought in interesting producers over the years that have helped them record their albums. I think it was sad that Alan Wilder left the album because he was the one who was the very much the competent musician, and that he really did bring something to the to band. And um, now would be a great time to bring him back. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe the falling out, you know. I mean, you know, sometimes it's it's like you know we'd all love Dave Gilmore to do another album with Roger Waters as well. You know what I mean? Sometimes these these falling outs are forever, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? Like they might get together on stage and do a show. You know, for, for you know, maybe it's like his funeral, they'll all get together and do something. I don't know, but like, um, you know, that would be great. But some of these falling outs, you know, there's too much animosity and you know, lost income and you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, um, you know, I mean, um, uh, I do think you'll see something happen, and I imagine there are calls at the moment going between the camps working out because obviously, I think maybe when they do make a statement, they probably will allude to what the future of the band might be, which you know, obviously at the moment is probably up in the air. I don't, yeah, I don't think the band is over. I think no, there's going to be more of this kind of Dave's going to do more solo. Gore might yeah. do more solo. That was pretty much actually apparent like 22 years ago in 2000 after Ultra. Uh, you know, Exciter was kind of an album just produced by Mark Bell of LFO. Yeah. And that's like one of their most, you know, lowest selling albums ever, Exciter. But that was just them trying to be Radiohead, Massive Attack, or the kind yeah. of be trying. I liked it. I liked it. I yeah, there was at that time, they clearly just want, they were doing solo albums. They didn't yes. even want to do Depeche Mode. And Exciter was just brought into existence because you have to make an album and it's just telling the fans you're still alive, even though it was the second attempt with three of the members. And another change of the producer with Mark Bell. Yeah. And it's only until playing the angel another four years after it's like, do they go revival and create of create this nostalgic trip with precious and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, uh, that was my least favorite album of theirs playing the angel. That was the one that I thought it felt, it just felt they were going over. Um, uh, you know, I'd sort of heard it before a little bit and, 
the tracks didn't seem quite as original and um, some of the stuff that Dave Gahan was doing wasn't, I, I thought, up to the standard of um, Martin Gore at his best. And I don't think Martin Gore's material on that album was particularly uh, impressive. But I mean, uh, to me, Depeche Mode have never made a bad album. It's still a pretty good album by any standard. It was the um, first nostalgic yeah. album. It was the first political trip that they're mimicking the past because the last three albums were non-Depeche Mode, kind of alt-rock, to Exciter yep. being too uh, Indie-tronic 2000s tier. And 2005 sounds like it came out in 92 or something. Well, yeah. Do with the They've always been a strange band because um, they have, they've always kind of predicted the future, but then the future kind of caught up with them. And I remember in the beginning of the 2000s, there were a lot of bands that were trying to sound like Depeche Mode. Um, and then being Depeche Mode was kind of unusual because, you know what I mean? They were trying to sound like themselves. You know what I mean? Like that was around the time of the Exciter album. And, um, and the, what was the one after Exciter? Uh, uh, after Exciter, it's, it's Ultra, Ultra. Exciter. Playing yeah, I liked Ultra. I thought Ultra was good. Um, and, also, um, one of my favorites. It's just because how depressed the album sounds, just how yeah, like, yeah. The damaged and how it's like post drug overdosed. That album. Oh, that's a great album. Yeah, that was the one after Ultra was the one after he he quit drugs and was kind yeah, of songs of faith. Yeah. And they had that that clip where he had the um, what's that song called? Uh, Barrel of a gun. Barrel of a gun. That's a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. That's a real masterpiece. And you could you almost hear like um, Nine Inch Nails. Like yeah, you know, that's why I like it too. Yeah. Trent Lesnar as well. I mean, you know, he will admit he was influenced by Depeche Mode. Even pe people like Ministry will admit they are influenced by Depeche. So you know, I mean, they've always been a really influential and important band. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I mean, I would have people play me the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and I would say, no, 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 the best band in the world is Depeche Mode, right? You know, and because they, I was a teenage idiot, and but I mean, you know, I understand I had a kind of teenage enthusiasm for them, and obviously now as an adult, um, I've I love the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and I appreciate these albums a lot more. But at the time I had a kind of just real huge passion for this kind of music. And um, I did find it interesting that they did like this. Um, it was like Cambridge University professors decided to analyze rock and pop music and discover uh, which was, was the most complicated and sophisticated um, bands in existence. And of course they had the top 10. And of course in the top 10, you, will, you would say what are the usual suspects, which are, um, you know, the Beatles, Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, you know, the Rolling Stones were just at the edge, you know, like, you know, down the bottom, but they were there. But the number one band was of, of this particular survey was um, the Pish Mode. They said that the band that had the most sophisticated lyrics, sophisticated music, like all along the various parameters on which they were judging, they said was, and they were kind of surprised. And there were articles in like the, the pop press going, well, you wouldn't believe who the most, you know, apparently the greatest band of all time is. And, you know, it's not the Rolling Stones, it's not the Beatles, it's not the Doors, it's, it's the Pesh Road. And now they almost did this headline as a joke. But, you know, I do think they're an incredibly um, important and sophisticated band. And um, that's why I've always been a huge fan of them. Obviously, um, you know, my love of them has probably, you know, I, I love a whole bunch of music. But, um, you know, I, I do have a real relationship with the band, having grown up with them and, um, you know, having met a couple of them having gone to a couple of the gigs now I've, I've seen them twice you know myself live um and um obviously i get the albums when they come out i've got every 12 inch <laughs> i mean you know so i've been quite obsessive with them and um i think i have a fair knowledge of the band so if we recall actually about four or five years ago we did a, a podcast review with robert stark on spirit when it actually came out which i find right. it 
Really funny. Yeah. If you go back to Stark Truth around 2017, when that same week it came out, we had you on with Robert Stark just yep. to talk about your review of Spirit. Have you changed uh, any review in the last five years in 2022? Has, has Spirit changed? Has it been I, more tainted over time? You're not well, like that album. reviews of Spirit. I do think that was a very solid album. And, um, I thought that was a real, um, you know, opening onto New Horizons for them or whatever. I thought that was a very good album. And um, what was it? What was that song they did? Um, you know, like uh, where's the revolution? Like, yeah, no, that's great. That was kind of it was around the time of the Trump thing, so that was very on, on the on on the money. There, where's the revolution? Because there was an, there was a desire, I think, from the populist right and the populist left. Oh, look, time left ten minutes. We've got ten more minutes. Um, <laughs> The populist left and the populist right, so that kind of channeled that, I think. And um, and that song, um, you know, um, what's that song they did where it's like I made the wrong decision on the wrong day on the wrong well, night. That's Sound of the Universe. That's post playing the angel. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, that was a great song as well. I really love that. So um, you know, I think um, you know, uh, no, I, I love their last album, and I, it's a little overdue. Normally they would be in the studio, and I imagine probably later this year Fletch would have rang them both up and said, "All right, let's get onto the new." Um, next Depeche Mode album because that was his job. That's what he would do. He would hassle them, you know, and annoy them so much so they eventually met in Switzerland or France or wherever they record their albums and get to work. But, you know, obviously he's not going to be there to, to make that. I'm just afraid that maybe Dave or Martin are just going to be more splitting and more just ignoring or just not going to work right. as a duo. That's that's the sad part, you know, because it's... Whereas I, I do think they'll go on, but this could be it. Absolutely. And... Um, they might just put a pin in it, you know? And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. And um, how did you first come to them? I'd love to hear your story a little bit. Um, I was 17. I liked kind of all the weird industrial records going up. I liked particularly, um, I knew about their name, Depeche Mode. And I knew, I think I liked Strange Love when I was like 16 from Music or the Mountains. <laughs> I like that before Violator, actually. And uh, it wasn't, you know, then you'll might hear policy of the truth on radio sometimes and personal Jesus here and there. Um, I think the Marilyn Manson cover of personal Jesus was pretty popular during the mid late 2000s for his greatest hits album. So there was this kind of resurgence in Depeche Mode in America with Marilyn Manson there. But um, one of my, of course, favorite bands ever is Kaim FDM. Uh, mm -hmm. one of the initials is kill motherfucking Pesh mode, even though <laughs> Sasha, Sasha K is like, yeah, we like the Pesh mode, but we're more human league fans. We like yeah, the yeah. Pesh mode on a, you know, new Deutsch Welle kind of synthetic. Yeah. That's kind of when it was like, I think there was one. I basically, I just recall buying violator on cassettes in 2008, 2009, yeah in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, which was like a beach town. And just listening to that and falling in love with the main synth glide and World in My Eyes and Halo, yeah. uh, Sweetest Perfection. The, the verse side one, or even Waiting for the Night, is just these really dark synth solos of sorts. I don't know exact synth, but it, if you heard of, like you said, other records at the time, you might have had those Acid House records but I think the dark synth sounds on that record sound so fresh. It sounds like it's from 2000 yeah. or something or some, some dark EBM album or yeah. I, that's what I liked about it. And I think I didn't, I, I liked Violator a lot. 
And I love the whole experimental, you know, interludes and clean kind of like you play the record start to finish both sides. It sounds perfect. It's just like goes into its own cinematic. But yeah, I think I really got into them again when I was 23 uh, a few years ago with some great reward, uh, like something to do, you know, master and servants, blasphemous rumor, uh, if you want that kind of weird fm synthesis kind of i think that might be their first dark album that one's yeah. a great reward and that's why i kind of have a charm to it but i do like the first albums too the very like speak and sell yeah. well i love the first album the one that yeah, vince yeah. Clark put on. yeah i mean that's fantastic and obviously i followed the career of vince clark as well i mean i'm still into uh erasure yeah and, uh, erasure is some of the happiest it's the kind of music that if i'm ever in a bad mood or Oh, I can't be bothered doing anything today. Or I just want to lay. I just you put on erasure and you feel great. You feel it is some of the most positive music, and um, ever. And also too, um, I always liked. I mean, in in both bands, there's always been a romantic, um, kind of quality to both their music. Kind of Depeche Mode's more darker, and Erasure's more up. But like, um, is you know, and I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, I would make cassettes. That was back in the day when you'd make cassettes. I'd give my girlfriend at the time. You know, you know, cassettes filled with you know, romantic songs by various bands, mainly Depeche Mode stuff. So, you know, it's got a real uh, resonance for me. It's been the soundtrack to my life to a, a large extent. I'm at an age where I heard a lot of this stuff as it came out. Um, I remember when um, Just Can't Get Enough came out. Um, mm. On, you know, like, you know, just, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the band then because I knew, but I remember when that first came on television in like 1981 or something. But, I mean, you know, I've been- I mean, I only saw band. them live. Depeche Mode back when they did Spirit in New York City around 2018, 20, yeah. 2017 actually. And then again in 2018 in the Rivals of Philadelphia. And that was the second set they did. Like even seeing them at, you know, if you if you recall walking in my shoes during the Spirit tour, it yeah. has a complete transgender message of where if you've seen Spirit it's walking in my shoes, but it's a guy who cross-dresses as a woman because she's walking in my shoes. And I always thought, uh, I guess I'm now at the point of experiencing Depeche Mode with the politicized woke capitalist aspects rather well, than guess, time when it was dark 20s. Yeah, I mean, as a great band, they are a kind of band that can be open to different kinds of um, you know, interpretations and that you know, I think that, you know, you, there could be a woke interpretation of Depeche Mode in some of their songs, but I mean, I've always interpreted them a different way. Um, but I did kind of like Martin Gore's kind of kinky, um, you know, s and kind of vibe that's been there probably, well, not in the first couple of albums, but been there since Master and Servant. And, um, you know, obviously I, I ran the Hellfire Club in Melbourne and Sydney. So we played Depeche Mode all the time. Strange Love, um, one of my first girlfriends when I was a teenager, we Strange Love was like a love song or whatever, you know, it was like just, mm -hmm. you know, it was like an anthem, you know. And um, so, you know, we got into that, you know, and um, I've always seen that. I mean, you know, I guess within the new right circles or right wing politics, how does that sit amongst people who are ultra conservative? Well, you know, probably not so well. Yeah, but, you know, it's bizarre. I don't think the far right or at least that Spencer kind of area, they only can recall like Violator, but they get very vague with early Depeche Mode or layer Depeche Mode. Oh, it's like they never escaped Violator. We should That's say Richard Spencer is, is equally a huge fan of Depeche Mode. So 
there you go. I mean, he's probably got a, a long relationship with the band. Is probably heartbroken about the death of Andrew Fletcher. Yeah, he did um, his Twitter space the other day, but he only talked about Violator and Black Celebration because he okay. remembered Black Celebration back. But I don't know, when people get to Songs of Faith or Ultra, everybody's memory gets very vague for some in the Gen X generation. Or well, he's probably 10 years younger than me, Spencer. So yeah, probably- and you would think he would be into Ultra or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, everyone gets into their classic period. Um, you know, I'm probably their, their greatest period is is from um, Black Celebration to Ultra. That's the, that's the period where um, they did, you know, everything is just genius. Um, but, you know, there's obviously the wonderful formative years and then the interesting work they've done later. So, um, you know, I think it's uh, really fascinating. Well, uh, Richard Wilsoncroft, I think we this um, 30 minutes. Have um, we raised enough? We, should we go another half hour? Or that's enough. Uh, I think I think that should be enough. We just want yeah. to commemorate memorial to Andy. Salute Fletcher. Andrew Fletcher. Of course, Fletch. this is actually for Andy Fletch. Uh, many people think this is Depeche Mode, but I just wanted to make this very clear. It's actually Andrew Fletcher, which is yeah. that member that yeah, you think of Gore, you think of Gahan, but the thing is, it's Fletcher had a huge part, and it might be a small influence, but I think without well, him now, it's going to be a very was a small influence. I don't think the band was. There's no way they would have stayed together without him. Yeah. He was the glue in the band, and they may not survive his passing because he literally got them together. He had a business sensibility that's always driven the band, and uh, a pop, a synth pop kind of sensibility that, um, you know, for whatever reason, Gore wants to, sorry, um, Gahan wants to go off and sing kind of like, you know, more soul kind of stuff mm-hmm. and you know, it's kind of Johnny Cash kind of stuff. And whereas uh, Gore wants to do what he's doing. So, you know, I think uh, he was you know, central to the band and, um, you know, that's what he did all those years. And now we're going to see, um, you know, what happens. And I hope they do stick together for Fletch because that's what he would have liked and wanted. And I hope they respect his wishes. Well, Richard Wollstonecraft, it's been nice talking to you. Always great talking to you, Pilita, and you're a legend, mate. Good talking. Great having these chats. This is for youtube.com slash Pilater or pilater.substack.com. See you, Fletch. All right. Next time. See you, mate. See you, Pilita. See you next time. <laughs>